Just a heads up, we're going to spend this Sunday and the next looking at this short letter. And uh, after that, we're going to jump into the book of Colossians, which is also another short letter. And there's a good reason why we're keeping these two together. Uh, because Philemon and Col Colossians are actually very closely related to one another. Even though they're kind of placed far apart in our New Testaments. Uh, first thing that they have in common is that they're both written by the Apostle Paul. And he mentions many of the same people in both Colossians and Philemon. So it's very likely that Philemon, the guy that this uh, letter was originally written to, lived in Colossae, where he was even hosting a church in his house. And Philemon was, by all accounts, a stand-up Christian, a wonderful Christian, someone that's described by Paul himself as being full of faith and love. Look at, look at actually what Paul says about Philemon in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And then skip down to verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I mean, really, this is one guy that any believer can really aspire to imitate. And that said, the Christian life was apparently not an easy, comfortable bed of roses for Philemon. Which makes this letter all the more real and relevant for us. Because this letter is another kind of a scriptural reminder of how just messy and complicated life as a Christian can get and how, how messy and complicated life in the church can get. But thankfully it doesn't just leave us there because this letter even more so reminds us just how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Especially when it's applied to ourselves and our relationships. In fact, I'd argue there's nothing more powerful in this world, in heaven or on earth. So to start, I'd like to ask you all this question. And that is, are you a welcoming person? <laughs> now some of us are more naturally so than others. But as I asked myself that question, and uh, as, as much as I'd like the answer to always be yes, uh, the honest answer is, well, it depends a lot on who it is that I'm welcoming. So the reason I ask this question is because this letter, this particular letter to Philemon, is all about welcoming someone. At the heart of Paul's letter to Philemon, is this heartfelt plea to welcome a fellow believer, but under very difficult, challenging circumstances. So look again with me at just verse 17, verse 17, where we find the central plea of this letter. 17. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And that Greek word translated here as receive can also be translated as welcome uh, because this word carries a sense of, of affectionately accepting someone or, or showing generous, uh, warm hospitality to them, just bringing them closer into your circles in love. 
And Paul is asking a lot here because when he's asking someone to, to, to receive or to be received as he'd be received, um, he's, he's challenging them to the standard of, of Philemon's own relationship with Paul here. Paul, by the way, was the one that probably led Philemon to Christ. He's the one that discipled him in the faith. There's this deep brotherly love. So back to this plea to welcome this other brother. Um, actually, there's a place in, in the, the book of Romans where Paul uses the same word, this same word that's translated here as receive, but it's translated as welcome here. And again, it's about how, how Christians should relate to one another. Romans 15, I'll go ahead and read it out loud. Romans 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This verse, verse 7, confronts us with the inescapable logic of God's grace, does it not? Let me read it again. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Which means this, if Christ has indeed welcomed us by his grace, and we're going to walk in this grace, what must this mean for how I welcome others? And to be specific, the one another's Paul is referring to here are fellow believers. And the answer is, we can be confident that we're truly living in Christ's welcome if we are extending that grace, that welcome, to one another. And according to verses 6 and 7 of this passage, this is what truly glorifies God. Now back to Philemon. And here, I want to give you a preview of where we're headed today. And although we had all of Philemon read, I'm just going to be preaching up to verse 17. And I have just two points that I'm you know, going to be uh, containing this passage under today. And the first one is, Welcome one another as family. Welcome one another as family. And the next point is, welcome Jesus by welcoming one another. Welcome Jesus by welcoming one another. So as I already mentioned, we can keep that up there, that works. So as I already mentioned, Paul is writing to persuade Philemon to welcome or receive another believer whose name is Onesimus. It's not Onesimus, but same, same, I guess. But again, what Paul is asking here is no easy thing because sometime in the past, Philemon and Onesimus had some serious falling out. Now, we don't know all the details of what happened, but Onesimus was a bondservant of Philemon's. But then Philemon, or then Onesimus, he ran away. But something quite unexpected happened while Onesimus uh, was away because somewhere along his journey, Onesimus met with none other 
than the Apostle Paul himself, who then shared the gospel with him, which resulted in Onesimus becoming a Christian, which is actually the basis for our first point, which is welcome one another as family. And Onesimus' conversion is actually why Paul is writing this letter of appeal. He's trying to step into the role of peacemaker between his old brother Philemon and his new brother Onesimus. Look at verse 8, where Paul begins his appeal. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Notice that the first thing that Paul says here is that he's not going to command or try to force Philemon to do the right thing. Even though he probably could as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually what I think Paul is doing here right from the start is he's modeling to Philemon, you know, who is, remember, Onesimus' legal master, how elders and superiors should handle things in the Lord with humble love gentleness, respect, which is always the most persuasive posture in the long run. Now again, all the more so because Paul now sees Onesimus not as some stranger, you know, someone of of no status or low status in the world, but rather he sees him as his very own child, spiritual child to whom he is a spiritual father. Verse 10, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And Paul appears to be one proud father because Onesimus was so changed by his encounter with Jesus that he became a truly effective ministry helper to Paul. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Apparently, Before Onesimus met Jesus, he was living this aimless, unfruitful life. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. But this is a great play on words, as Onesimus' name literally means useful. And it was the Lord who ultimately gave Onesimus a new birth that fit his old name. Right? And even more, here's how much Paul cared about Onesimus. It just wasn't about his usefulness. He declares in verse 12 that as he uh, sends Onesimus back to Philemon, he's also sending his very heart, which is um, a word that describes, it's the very seat of his emotions. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Uh, Let's put it this way. If I entrust any of my children to your care, what I'm entrusting you with is my very heart. Right? For better or for worse, a core part of my own happiness 
and sense of well-being, it's very much tied to the happiness and well-being of my children. At the end of the day, that's just the cost of love and bearing children and having children. And it shows us so much about God's own heart for his own children. And yet, none of this actually changes the fact that there is still this wrong that needs to be made right, which is why Paul is sending Onesimus back in hopes that he'll be reconciled with Philemon. And Paul, remember, he's not just hoping that they'd be reconciled as bondservant, slave, and master. But now, most importantly, as fellow believers. Uh, now that word slave is a hard one for us to hear, so before we move on, I think a little historical background might be helpful to us. There's no denying it. Slavery was a huge, reprehensible, terrible part of the economic life of the first century Roman Empire. But one thing that's important for us to understand from our vantage point is that unlike American colonial slavery, it was not based in any way whatsoever on race or ethnicity. Uh, in fact, the Romans were quite happy to enslave just about anyone and everyone. Uh, it was especially for, for anyone that resisted the expansion of their empire. And another important thing to know is that one of the most common types of slavery of that time was volunteer slavery or bond servanthood, which was very similar to what we know historically as indentured servitude. So while volunteer slavery uh, was not without its abuses and excesses, uh, it was a system where otherwise free people, usually trying to earn credit or to pay off debt, they'd voluntarily enter into these slavery contracts with mutually agreed upon terms, which included severe penalties if the contract was broken, including imprisonment or even death. And seeing that in verse 18, Paul offers to cover any extra debt that Onesimus might have accrued while he was away from Philemon. It's a, it's a pretty strong indicator that Onesimus was a runaway bondservant. As well, I think that you could argue that in many ways, volunteer slavery is still alive and well today, even in 2023 USA. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit more humane, but for instance, consider our volunteer military. Right? where otherwise free people essentially sign their lives away under certain mutual terms between themselves and the government. But if a soldier runs away or goes AWOL or otherwise betrays our nation, severe penalties apply, right? including imprisonment and even death. Now here is the remarkable thing about the effect that the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ had on slavery in the first century and beyond. Historians now more so than ever are recognizing, uh, some of them even begrudgingly, that it was the spread of Christianity that was pivotal in unraveling slavery in the Roman Empire. Now that change happened slowly, but surely as biblical teachings spread, doctrines actually that bestowed upon every person regardless of ethnicity, gender, or socioeconomic status that conferred upon them God-given dignity, equality, worth, because every human being is uniquely created, fearfully and wonderfully made 
in the very image of God. Now, in pagan first century Rome, such ideas about every person's equal dignity, worth, it would have been laughable. Right? And, that, and that was reflected in the practices of their culture. But after a man named Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, such convictions started to take root. They started spreading. Its branches grew and eventually overtook the empire. And this is one thing that makes this short little letter to Philemon even more beautiful. Uh, it's this thing we want to pour over because it's right here that we actually get to see this small but incredibly powerful mustard seed of the kingdom of God begin to take root. And here's how the Apostle Paul sows this word, how he applies it. Paul challenges Philemon to not see Onesimus as everybody else sees him, as the world sees him, but to see him as Christ sees him. To look at Onesimus not ultimately as property or in terms of money gained or lost, but to look at Onesimus and to see him as his very own eternal brother who belongs ultimately to who? To God himself. Look with me at verse 15 where we even see Paul doing some inspired speculation on God's purpose in this whole messy situation where Philemon, from our vantage point, really got the short end of the deal. Verse 15. For this perhaps is why he, that is Onesimus, was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul is telling Philemon here, hey, here's what the Lord is capable of doing and what he's actually done. He's taken your good-for-nothing runaway servant and he's transformed him into a redeemed, adopted, fruitful son. And now he's offering him back to you as a beloved forever brother. Did you notice how from the very beginning of the letter, Paul wants to remind Philemon about how this sibling reality or brother-sister relationship permeates every relationship in the church? Right? Verse 1, Timothy, our brother. Verse 2, Aphia, our sister. And we've already heard Paul call Philemon his brother in verse 7. And then again in verse 20, which I'll read, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So why does Paul use these familial terms? Is it just some casual, colloquial kind of term of endearment with no real commitment behind it? You know, it's like when we refer to acquaintances or even strangers. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. What's up, fam? You guys don't have young kids. Do you? <laughs> no, for Paul, these familial titles brother and sister, actually bear the weight of eternal glory. And that's ultimately because who God is, who God is for us now, 
in Christ Jesus. Look with me at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So how is it that a master like Philemon can look at a fugitive runaway slave like Onesimus and be reconciled to him as a beloved brother? The answer is because God is now their father through Christ Jesus their Lord. And only through him can we receive the grace and peace that we so desperately desire. And here's how Paul describes how that works, how Jesus, God's Son, through his Spirit, brings us to God as our Father. Galatians chapter 4. If you could skip to that next slide. There we go. Galatians chapter 4. Read along with me. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I'm sure Onesimus heard this gospel. I'm sure Onesimus received this good news. And you know why we as Christians welcome one another as family? It's because God in Christ has welcomed us in as his very own family by redeeming us for adoption as sons. And that, by the way, is not a gender-specific term. It's, it's, it's more an idea of status. The one who will inherit the father's fortune. And then we, we learn that by his spirit, we, like Jesus, can know, like Jesus himself, we can know and cry out to God as our very own Abba, Father. Abba, Father being the most intimate title for Father in all the scriptures. So I want to make this crystal clear. God is welcoming us into his very own heart. Because if it's true that when Paul sent his child Onesimus, he was sending his very heart, verse 12, what do you think God is trying to reveal or communicate to us when in the fullness of time he sent his only begotten son to us? God the, God the Father sent his very own heart to this lost and dying world, didn't he? Why? John 3.16 For God so loved the world and you know the rest. And the beauty of it is when we worldly people repent and believe in the gospel we're changed we're transferred from the world we're no longer of the world and we're adopted as sons which means the spirit of his son gets poured into our very hearts and we come alive. We truly come alive for the first time. And we enter into the most intimate and unimaginably wonderful divine welcome possible. 
So, if indeed God is our Abba Father, and by the way, it's only my children who could ever call me that. I don't want anybody else calling me Papa. All right? Now, if indeed God is our Abba Father, this means that all believers are now eternally related, truly making us this, this impenetrable bond, brothers and sisters, who along with Jesus, the Son, will inherit everything, the very kingdom of our God and Father, which is also known as everything as it should be, everything that our hearts long for. So uh, it's here that I want to pause and ask you Christians, when you look around at these fellow believers who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, what do you see here? Is it a special interest group of moral activists promoting pet political causes through which we're covertly looking to establish our own sense of self-worth and our own sense of self-righteousness? Or is it this semi-casual meetup of like-minded, therapeutic consumers with these gatherings meant primarily to benefit and serve us as individuals, which ultimately just has the effect of making us more self-absorbed, self-worshipping, and actually less happy, malcontent, ineffective, alienated from one another? Or, or, is this the very gathering of the household of God, bought and ransomed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, people who will flourish together for all eternity as we sit under his life-giving word, and as we hear that, as we hear his voice, we respond and we cry out by his spirit, Abba, Father as the imperishable sons and daughters of the Most High, who will inherit everything in Christ to reign forever with him. Every week we gotta get together and hear this good news. We're so quick to forget reality. And this leads us to our second and much shorter point, which is all about the fruit or outcome of welcoming one another as family. And that second point is, we welcome Jesus by welcoming one another. That's who we ultimately gain as we love and welcome one another in faith and hope. Or to put it another way, we will grow to know him all the more as we welcome one another. This is all over the scriptures. Go back online, listen to our church series, right? Now, before we proceed, though, let's take off any rose-tinted glasses, right? Let's not forget that this letter uh, from Paul likely presented a very difficult, gut-wrenching trial for Philemon. Philemon receiving this, hearing this, might have been tempted to wonder, what? (laughs) 
welcome this bondservant who betrayed me and didn't keep up his end of the bargain? And then I got to do this before the entire town as well as the church? And in that time, in a society that is profoundly driven by honor and shame and status and maintaining outward appearances, sounds a bit like what our society is, I think, becoming more and more. All this obedience could have felt like death for Philemon. And actually, just so you know, Philemon would probably not have lost any face socially if he just outright rejected Onesimus. Plus, even the law was on his side uh, because masters were, were perfectly uh, allowed to legally execute any captured runaway slaves. Otherwise, all slaves would just run away the first chance that they get and their economy would be in ruins. But of course, um, this trial of Philemon's did not come to him as some random set of unfortunate coincidences. No, it was definitely no accident that Onesimus became a born-again son of God during this time away. Not an accident at all. God's timing in, in, in calling each and every one of us is, is actually just as exact as his timing for sending his son. You realize that, Christians? To be a Christian is to be known by God even before the foundation of the world. Which means also this trial and our trials, they're not accidental either. And I'm sure that this is something that Paul understood that the Lord's hand was moving in the midst of all this and that God was indeed working towards something good for Philemon as well as the church that met at his house. And then, all the way down to 2023, Spokane, Washington, USA, as we're looking at this letter. God's word is alive in that way. And you know where the, 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 the good is most evident or expressed in this letter? It's most evident in a prayer, right? A very specific one at that. It's a prayer that Paul makes for Philemon near the beginning of this letter, long before Onesimus is even mentioned. Have a look, verse 5, verse 5. Because I hear of your love, that is Philemon, and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And here, this next one is the really important specific prayer request. Verse 6, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I know that that verse 6 is a little bit um, challenging to understand right off the bat. It's also a bit tricky in the Greek, and our translation here is very literal. Um, but here's my attempt at a hopefully helpful paraphrase of Paul's prayer request. Okay, Philemon, I pray that you'd be active and effective in generously sharing your faith through fellowship so that you can come to know all the more every good thing in us 
on account of Christ. Put another way, Paul anticipating the challenge of welcoming this fellow Christian in a very difficult, uh, messy situation, prays, this is what we should always do, we should first pray. Pray that God would empower Philemon to generously extend the hand of fellowship so that Philemon, Onesimus, the whole church could get to know Jesus better. (laughs) All right? Which is what I'm getting at when I say we welcome Jesus by welcoming one another. So, uh, believers, if you really want to, as Paul prayed, become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That is, if we want to deepen our joy, grow in our maturity as believers, grow in our knowledge of every good thing in Christ, by his mercies, we must seek the Lord by welcoming one another as he has welcomed us. Yes, this is easy and fun when times are good and, and we're, we're pleasant with one another. But by his grace, we're also called, and I think this is where his grace shines the brightest. We're empowered to welcome one another when things get difficult and messy. This is why next week in Philemon, uh, we're going to look more at what's involved in that process, what uh, practically what pursuing repentance and forgiveness and even justice might look like when we strive to apply the gospel and welcome one another in Christ. But to close, uh, the question really isn't, are you a welcoming person? No, the question really is, how has Christ welcomed you? How has Christ welcomed you? Because who was it that went out of his way to welcome you in, to lovingly draw you near, even when you were rebellious and estranged from him, running away from him? And that was when things were incredibly difficult and messy between you and him. Whose father was it that, while we were yet sinners, sent his beloved son to us, sending his very heart, even to the point of death on a cross, so that you could know him, and so that you could cry out to him as Abba, Father, making you his dear child, giving you his very own spirit, and graciously giving you everything and welcoming you into his very eternal household. I love how Philemon closes its verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's ultimately what he wants for Philemon and I think for us. So brothers and sisters, uh, by his mercies, let us welcome one another as family so that through the sharing of our faith, we may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And this we pray in his matchless name. 
Amen.